Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Our first question here. Hello, everyone. put more weight on undergraduate GPA than master's, even though the major for both levels of study is sciences. Uh, majority, I'm assuming. That's what that meant. Two, and then do they put more weight on undergraduate GPA than MCAT score? Thank you in advance. I yeah, like these it's... questions, Scott, because it, it helps really hopefully clarify um, the one-size-does-not-fit-all <clears throat> model. Right, right. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, so let me just kind of back up a little bit and, and, and really give you a sense of what and I'm going to, I'm going to really refer more to, to the second question first. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the, the undergraduate GPA, uh, while it is a number, just like the MCAT score is a number, it tells admissions committees a different thing. It, it gives them information about a different a different aspect of an applicant. So the the G, the undergraduate GPA addresses the long haul. It addresses uh, focus in the classroom, ability to work hard, persevere, study hard over a long period of time. It addresses the 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 work ethic of an applicant. Uh, really, uh, while the MCAT score. Uh, really addresses a one-time shot kind of thing, a a one-time sort of issue of I was able to sit and take this exam. Yes, there's a lot of preparation before that, but it's so it really addresses a much different aspect of the applicant than a a GPA does. And so in in answer to the number two question, I would say no, that that there's not one that is weighted uh, more than the other necessarily at all. It's, It's a combination of the two uh, that gives the uh, admissions committee a sense of who is this applicant academically, uh, cognitively, how are they at um, uh, high stakes uh, testing? Obviously, uh, in in most of these students' lives, their 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 MCAT experience is going to be the highest stakes testing experience that they've ever had in their entire life. Yeah. And that will increase as they get to medical school and, and do licensure exams and things like that. But uh, so it, it addresses two different things. And I, so I don't think that one is necessarily weighted more than the other. And we get this question often, does one offset the other? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I have a low GPA and a high MCAT score, will one offset the other? It doesn't really work that way at all. Yeah. Um, more to the issue of the first question, I think, that depends on the institution, and I would not say that um, one is weighted uh, greater than the other. Uh, so, for example, if you have a student who, uh, which is not unusual with non-traditional students or postback students, where you have a um, a student who did not do ex- 
you know, extraordinarily well in, in uh, their undergraduate experience. And then they go to a master's program uh, and take it. Maybe it's in the same field. Maybe it's the more general biomedical sciences type field, like many of the post-bac programs are. Um, and they do, they do really well. Uh, some medical schools will look at that and say, well, this, you know, shows that they can do, you know, the work. Uh, there are other medical schools which will acknowledge that graduate school is different than undergraduate school. The grading is different. So, for example, you don't make you don't make a lot of C's in graduate school because if you do, you're out. You get kicked out. Um, a couple of C's, uh, uh, you know, you're you're on on really thin ice. Whereas undergraduate programs are. So, I think the schools that do uh, look at that as different, the, the, the master's program or the graduate GPA is different, uh, are, are making that differentiation. They're, they're saying, well, uh, these are really two different things. It's not to say that they don't look at the, the, the graduate GPA and acknowledge it and also use it in their determination, but it could be that they uh, do not think as highly of it, um, uh, but other schools uh, will do that and, and we'll say you know here's a, a student that was able to get their get their stuff together and, and and do well in a master's program and you know in the sciences in particular is 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 a strong indication that they can do the work so um what what are your thoughts uh, ryan mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, again, responding to answer one here, the, the admissions committee is putting more weight on undergraduate than masters. I, I think the feedback that I've gotten from students, right, and, and obviously that's the majority of my experience is just listening to students. The, the majority of the feedback is it seems like most medical schools uh, are relying on undergraduate GPA yeah. as a uh, a filter of your abilities. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's not to say I've had some amazing guests on the pre-med years who really, really struggled in undergrad. And then for financial reasons, right? Because a lot of postbacks, you can't get financial assistance for postbacks, right. but you can right. get financial assistance for master's programs. And so. Yeah. They go and they go that route because that's the only way they can, and they do they do great and they get into medical school just yeah. fine, not a problem. Yeah. So yeah. There, there's no one size fits all, uh, right. unfortunately. Right? Our jobs would be so much easier if it was just all black and white. Right, right. <laughs> or we might not have jobs if it was so. Black and, white. <laughs> and that's okay. Then everyone's getting into med school yeah. just just like they want. Yeah, uh, I'll find something else to do. <clears throat> um, right. So that's a good one to start with. What else we got? All right, my friend Suzanne, uh, from your experience and talks to admissions committees, do you think that schools will look less at MCAT scores since step one is now pass-fail and don't know if there is uh, still correlation? That's interesting. I haven't really thought about about that, right? Step one, for those of you who right. don't know, step one is going to pass-fail in 2022, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's always been this very weak correlation, which I hate that word because correlation <clears throat> doesn't mean anything. <laughs> there's a, right. there's an amazing website called like spurious correlations or something where it's like the number, the, the amount of cheese consumed in a year versus the amount of drownings in a hot tub. <laughs> like yeah. it's correlated <laughs> like, uh Oh, don't eat cheese. 
Um, <laughs> so there, there's a very weak correlation between MCAT and step one. Obviously, right, just logically thinking, good test takers are good test takers. That doesn't go away from step one to, right. to MCAT, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So um, this uh, change happened, I think, right around the time that you – uh, were leaving TMD SAS. What are your thoughts with this? Yeah, I think that uh, I don't think that medical schools are going to look less. <clears throat> excuse me, at the MCAT score because of this. Yeah. Uh, there is also, albeit somewhat weak, <clears throat> there is a correlation between MCAT score and and uh, the first in the basic sciences uh, in uh, medical school. Uh, but even more than that, I think it, the, what the MCAT does represent is the same thing for everyone. Mm. It, yeah, while, while GPA varies because of school they go to or major they are in or the time, amount of time it takes them to get, uh, get through undergraduate, their undergraduate experience, it varies so much. The MCAT score is the, the one thing that is, is common. <clears throat> and so I think that uh, because of that, uh, there's going to be a continued reliance on the MCAT to see uh, that uh, in, in the process. Now, what I would also say in the studies, in the correla correlation studies uh, that have been completed with regard to the MCAT and how they perform in medical school, as well as the MCAT and how they do in step one, they are flawed studies in that. They do not, they only include students who got into medical school. Mm. So if a student scored a 480 something on the, on the uh, MCAT and didn't get in, it may well correlate very highly to uh, their ability to perform well in medical school, but we won't know that because they didn't get in. Yeah. So, uh, so it's only using the sample of those students who actually got into medical school. Uh, and, and so I'd say that with, with just a little bit of, reluctance to say that I, I don't think that the MCAT will be will will change uh, a lot uh, in terms of how admissions committees view it uh, because of step one changing. Yeah. yeah. Because in, it, in medical school, they use a lot of been, uh, of, uh, of uh, exams that are shelf exams yep. for uh, and, and very similar to standardized testing. Uh, so it's it, 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 there's a lot of different uh, parts of the medical experience beyond step one that are still going to be very similar yeah. and may well correlate to to, uh, to some of these uh, shelf exams in yeah. a certain uh, you know, in biochemistry, for example. Yeah. And, and just for for reference for those listening who don't know what a shelf exam is, it's it's an exam that the medical schools buy from the MBME, right? I, I think it's MBME mm -hmm. that they buy them from. Yeah, I think uh, so. It's it's a standardized, it's, it's almost like a, a mini step, like a pre-step exam that's standardized for each of the different subjects that you're studying in, in your clinical rotation. So yeah, it's, uh, it's fun. Lots yeah. of tests. You become a professional test taker <laughs> that's in right. college. Um, yeah. hopefully my, my hope is that there are, uh, more ways to review an MCAT score after this pandemic um, that yes. that schools will will now allow because they yeah. they see the differences they see the challenges um, they recognize it a lot more so hopefully yeah hopefully we'll see agreed 
And, and we'll have more data, right? Talking about right. the the data, we're we're going to have data of of a a a good percentage of students who are going to get admitted to medical school without having taken the MCAT, more than the the kind of early assurance kind of uh, right. pathways right. that have always been there, <clears throat> right? And I don't I don't know if there's any data, any studies looking at those students and how they do, but obviously, again, those are really stellar students for right. getting admitted early. Right. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully some changes because the MCAT uh, is a beast. Yeah, it is. <laughs> All right. Out of curiosity, I'd like to ask Dr. Wright. All right, this one's for you. Can you give us any insight into what happens when the admissions committee meets? Oh, it's a pillow fight, right? Uh, how much discussion is there? Uh, um, is there another anyone applicant? I don't know what that means. Uh, yeah. Does a member that interviewed someone ever get really excited to tell people about that applicant, et cetera? Yeah. yeah so the, give us some behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah, this is a really good question. And I, I think it addresses the, the applicant's interest in knowing more about the mystery yep. of what happens when I submit my application. It goes into this big black box. I have mm -hmm. no clue what's going on inside that big black box. Yep. And it drives me crazy. And uh, that's the part that I think is really hard for for um, uh, applicants to sort of deal with, and they they it's just such a mystery. And so I think this question is a, is it really addresses that. And I think obviously we say this over and over and over again, but it's going to vary a lot by medical schools in terms of um, in terms of how they do their process, what their what the composition of their admissions committee is, uh, who's on it how many people are on it, uh, what those people do uh, in terms of their experience on the committee. Um, so it's going to vary a lot. I think in general, uh, admissions committees are, are typically uh, faculty members. They can be non-science. Uh, I mean, they can be clinical faculty members. Uh, they can be uh, basic science faculty members. They, they uh, most schools like to have a mixture of those people, particularly people who have a lot of student contact, uh, directors of courses, uh, people that actually teach in the courses uh, with the students, uh, also uh, clinical faculty who have a lot of uh, responsibility with, uh, um, the, uh, with the students uh, in, in, in the course of their uh, duties. Um, and so there's going to be a variety of different kinds of people. On occasion, there will be community physicians who are perhaps alumni uh, of the institution. Uh, and there are uh, sometimes students. Uh, mm -hmm. There can be uh, uh, fourth year medical students, for example, who are on the committee. My experience has typically been that, that students that are on the committee have, do not have voting privileges because they're not faculty in the licensure. The, um, Accreditation is very clear about it as the faculty's responsibility to choose the students in the admissions process. So if there are students on the on the admissions committee, uh, they would be non-voting members and they would be there to participate. But ultimately, when it comes down to a vote, they 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 don't have a, yep. a, a chore there. Um, you know, uh, different medical schools will do it differently in terms of how many uh, at UT Southwestern, where I was. Uh, we had a small committee of about uh, 10 members. Uh, they generally did not interview students uh, themselves. Uh, they were seasoned professionals in terms of the admissions process. They had been interviewers for many years. 
uh, and but they were brought together um, to and, and the reason for that was to remove bias mm-hmm. um, was to remove well I interviewed this student and I'm so I'm going to really be an advocate for this student uh, and what we wanted was to have an unbiased group of people who are looking at everyone and sort of making decisions based on on that experience but uh, different committees are different sometimes committees are, are very large there might be 40 or 50 uh, uh, faculty members on, a, on an admissions committee. You may not have all 40 or 50 in the same room at the same time, uh, or, or quite rarely would, um, but they are going to uh, talk about the applicant. Uh, typically, they're going to have either, um, in the old days, we would project uh, on the, on the uh, a screen in the room a, uh, uh, the information about the student, uh, often the, their picture was there. Sometimes uh, app, uh, medical schools don't have their picture there and are uh, relying just on the information about uh, MCAT score, GPA, trends, uh, their uh, sort of a, a synopsis of the le- letters of recommendation, their interview results, if they're quantitative, but also the actual written documentation, the narrative of the interview results. Um, just everything possible. Uh, in these days, it's more likely that the that the admissions committees would be in a room where there would be a lot of laptops and, and they would be viewing this stuff uh, online. Uh, and then they're going to talk about the applicant and they're going to talk about each applicant and how long they talk about each applicant will vary. Uh, with an applicant that's very straightforward, uh, it might be very limited amount of discussion. Uh, with an applicant that has a much uh, a, a much more complicated application, uh, perhaps they were a uh, post-bac student in second career and had not done well in their original undergraduate and had come back, or maybe it's a student who had taken the MCAT four times and, and finally, you know, really did, did okay. Um, so it, it could vary. Um, it could vary. It could, so if you can imagine... Uh, schools that get, um, let's say, 10,000 applications, let's say they interviewed 1,200 students. That's still a whole lot of students that they're interviewing. And in a given ad- admissions committee me- meeting, they might be um, there for two or three hours at the meeting. And uh, they're trying to get through 100 or more uh, applicants in those two or three hours. So you can imagine that some of the applications might only get a very short discussion, maybe a few minutes, uh, whereas other applications might get uh, more extensive um, review and, 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 and richer discussion with regard to their fit for the institution or their ability to do well in medicine, et cetera, whatever. And uh, so it might be a more you know, lengthy uh, discussion, uh, 10 minutes. My experience is that... Um, uh, that it does vary pretty widely, uh, depending on the on the uh, on the applicant. So uh, that gives you a little bit of a uh, of a of a viewpoint about what happens in the in an admissions committee meeting, and it's uh, it's a fascinating process. It's very enjoyable. But I can assure you, in my experience, both at my own institution as well as my extensive contact with deans of admissions from around the country, that the admissions committee members in the largest way, are very much committed to what they're doing. They're committed to doing it the right way, the best way they can, 
for the institution and, and for medicine in general. And so they take it very seriously and they, they put their heart and soul into it. It's one of the most important uh, committees at a medical school. Uh, and uh, uh, the, being on the admissions committee is an honor and uh, it is a huge commitment of time and, uh, and effort. And, uh, and I, I, in my experience, I never had anybody on the committee that wasn't fully committed to what they were doing. And, uh, and so you can rest assured that they're really putting a lot of their soul into, into what they're doing. A committed committee. That's what we need. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Good. Nice little behind the scenes. It's funny. Um, when we were in, I think it was when we were in Toronto together, speaking at that admissions conference, uh, I, I had, uh, told you it'd be really cool at at the the meetings that TMDSA has uh, TMDSAS had for the medical school uh, medical schools every year. I forget what you called them. You had a special name for them, but uh, it would be cool to have packets of uh, of applications and and give the same application yeah, to yeah. all the different schools. And and I would come down and record that as content to really yeah. get a good insight into every how everyone thinks yeah. about the same type of applicant. We've done that before at the uh, advisor conference uh, in Texas, as well as I did it when I was at um, when I was associate dean at UT Dallas, the undergrad campus. We we did that to give the students that very kind of, or the advisors that very kind of sense of what is this like and yep. how different people can interpret the same application in very different ways. Yep. So it is a fascinating experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think what you just said, right, how different schools, different people, even different people at the same school yeah. will interpret an application. And so that that's where I always get into a sticking point when the, the feedback from some pre-health advisors is is very black and white and it's it's never never black and white no, and so never. it's it's always a struggle when i hear that feedback from students yeah, but absolutely oh, all right absolutely. good discussion thank you for that behind the scenes look there um all right so what are some good ways to prepare for the mmi style of interview was the was the mmi around when you were at ut no. southwestern yeah no it, it came later um there were schools that were doing something similar to that, but in terms of the the actual MMI experience, which was developed in Canada and McGill, I think McMaster, McMaster, yeah. and uh, they uh, it came a little bit later in that sort of formal style. Yeah, thanks, McMaster. Oh, yeah. Same same team that brought us uh, the Casper test as well. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Um, do you have any thoughts on on the MMI? You know, I think that uh, practice is great um, with uh, advisors or other students. And you can find, I mean, you can go to the internet and find lots of sample uh, interview questions. Mm -hmm. uh, and what these interview questions are typically in the MMI are, and, and just for, for our, just to make sure our students understand, MMI stands for multiple mini interview. Mm -hmm. And so typically you're going to have six to eight or so uh, stations and you're going to go to one station and you're going to have a few minutes, maybe one minute to read the scenario, whatever it is. And then you go into the room and you're going to respond. You're going to have about five minutes or, or, or so, maybe a little bit more to respond to the interviewer with regard to this scenario. It could be an ethical scenario. Uh, it could be uh, 
uh, interpersonal skills type scenario where they're looking for different things. Uh, and, and then you go to the next station. Uh, and every, it's kind of a round robin uh, sort of thing. And, uh, and so I think, you know, schools that are doing it well in terms of advising will, will, will help students and set up something similar to this and, and help them run through it. But even if your school doesn't have anything like that or if you don't have an advisor, I think getting friends together, uh, finding sample interview questions on the, on the Internet, and, uh, and, then, and then trying it out and doing it uh, is, is a very good way of, of getting the, getting your mind quick enough to think about what is this and, and also not getting so stuck in the, in the mode of there's a right answer and then there's a wrong answer. That's not necessarily what they're looking for. Now, yes, there are wrong answers. You could go in there and be <laughs> super bizarre and stuff. That would not be good. Uh, but it's not necessarily a black and white kind of, oh, they answered it right or they answered it wrong. So. Yeah. Yeah, most most MMI scenarios have a rubric associated with them where the, the interviewer is scoring you. Did you did you cover this? Did you cover that? Not did you right. specifically say X, Y, and Z? Um, right. I I like to tell students the the MMI should be fun, and and I've gotten yeah. messages from students that are like, "Oh my God, Doctor Gray, that was that I had a blast. Thank you for letting me know that it was okay to have fun with this." Yeah. If you treat the MMI like real life, then usually uh, I see students do better. Meaning, yeah. go in and have a conversation. Right? The the if you're sitting down for dinner and and your friend across from you goes, "Oh man, did you see in the news XYZ?" right? Some sort of moral ethical thing, right? Did you see in the news? You have a conversation about that. That's all the yeah. MMI is. And the, the interviewer <clears throat> yeah. is just listening to you. And, and usually yeah. there's a little bit of back and forth. Sometimes there's not. Uh, and and the more that you can just understand that the goal is to have that conversation to 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 for the interviewer to understand your thought process on why you're saying the things you're saying, and and really just enjoy yourself, the, the better yeah. you will be. That's great the, advice. The goal with both, uh, and, and I always have to say this, the goal <clears> with <throat> both the normal, traditional interview, one-on-one -on -one interview, and the MMI with your preparation is not to be prepared for every single question that could come your way. Right. In my interview book, I have a list of like 600 questions. I didn't want to put a list of questions in my book because students will go question by question, do I have an answer for this? Okay, what's my answer? They'll, they'll script out their answers for every single question. Right. The goal of preparing for the interviews is to understand that you can answer anything that comes your way in the blink of an eye. Our brains Absolutely. are powerful supercomputers. We can figure it out. So just just know that you can get get where you need to go. So, with that said, uh, there you go. That's a that's a good book right there. Uh, I've seen that there one. There it twice. is. Uh, the pre med playbook <laughs> guide to the medical school interview. Um, that's it right there. Yeah, need to get one of those and lots <laughs> of good lots of good stuff in here. All right, next question. I do have an MMI book actually that uh, is halfway done or not. It's about cool. a tenth of cool. way done actually. <laughs> um, all right. Next question. Ra Rachel's scrolling for some good questions. All right. 
What should be done if you already submitted your application with your estimated volunteer hours but are not able to reach those hours now due to COVID? Mm -hmm. Well, I think everyone's in that same boat, right? Yeah. Applications yeah. didn't go in until after COVID. So yeah. it, I think medical schools understand that the estimated hours for most students are going to be out of whack. And, yeah. and just for clarification, I believe... TMDSAS does not allow for estimated hours, but you can put you can put the extra timeline, but not estimated hours. Is that correct? Right, and you can also at TMDSAS at the Texas service. Oh, you, you can, can put future activities. Yeah, you can, and you can also update that. That's right. Uh, yeah. You can send an update to to TMDSAS and say, yep. "Hey, I thought I was going to do this, but because of whatever, I couldn't do that. So yep. instead, I'm doing this, and we'll and we'll send yep. it out to the school." Yeah. yeah, so TMDSAS is is flexible. TMDSAS, the more that I learn, is just it's the best application service. So awesome! And, and the first, the and yes. first, yes, nineteen sixty nine. Yes, a Comus is the one that I'm pretty sure you can't update hours. Like you can't estimate hours. You can you can put the the time stopping like the the stop date in the future, but you can't estimate hours. AMCAS, they tell you to estimate hours. So yeah. every every application service is a little bit different, uh, but bit but different. just understand that that schools know and they understand, and that's just it is what it is. Is virtual shadowing accepted as shadowing hours? I only have six hours of in person shadowing with cardiologists Ouch. as part of a summer internship. I apply next cycle. All right. So the good thing going is next cycle. All right. Yeah. So we got some time. Yeah. Uh, this is obviously something we've been talking a lot about with COVID and, yeah. and quarantine yeah. and staying home and everything else. The uh, shadowing, volunteer, everything's just kind of stopped. And so, um, yeah, virtual shadowing is, is better than no, nothing. nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, def definitely, you got to do what you can do, and that's all you can do. Yeah. So, so the, the general advice that we've been giving is put it on your application and let the medical schools decide what they want to do with it. Yep. Exactly. Because we're, we're doing virtual everything right now. So yeah, that is true. Do you think it is a good idea to apply this cycle without an MCAT to schools that made the MCAT optional? My community college GPA is 3.87 undergraduate or university GPA 3.75. I've been getting this question a lot uh, because more and more schools are jumping on the bandwagon. Unfortunately, it's still not a lot of schools, but more schools are jumping on the optional MCAT bandwagon. Well, you know, I like, so my feeling about this is that, uh, I, I mean, all he said is MK, is his GPA. Mm -hmm. So we don't really know anything about other things about the application. But it's just MCAT and GPA. It's all that matters, Scott, right? Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> no. So we don't know anything about, you know, clinical activities or anything else. So if we yeah. just are focused on, 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 on GPA here, then I would say, um, sure, why not, you know, why not apply? It's yep. particularly to those schools that are, uh, don't have uh, MCAT as, as required and see what happens. The only, the only, in my experience, the only uh, absolute in the admissions process to medical school is if you do not apply, you will <laughs> not get in. Yep. <laughs> so you, do you know, know my saying on that? 
I, no. I have my own saying for that. I said your chances of uh, of getting into medical school are zero if you don't apply and greater yeah. than zero if you do apply. If you do apply. Yeah. yeah. I mean, exactly. So, you know, answer this question, I would say, sure, you know, why not? And then yeah. if you don't get in, you 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 apply the next year with an MCAT score and, and you're good to go. So, you know, I, I would say, why not? Yeah. My, my only caveat to that is it's August 24th right now. My assumption yeah. is this, the students that email me this question, I've gotten it probably a half a dozen, if not a dozen times already is the students are very much in the rush to do something. They haven't done they haven't done their personal statement. They haven't written any of their extracurriculars. They haven't prepared anything for their application. And so my fear is that they're going to rush that side of it. They're not going yeah. to put together a good application, a good yeah. story of who yeah. they are. They have to rush and get letters of recommendations from from people um, in a time crunch. And and usually that just ends badly. Like yeah. take your time. It's a long process. Take your time and and apply next year's is usually my advice. Unless you have it all ready to go and you were just yeah. sitting on an application, yeah. which most yeah. people aren't doing that. But right. yeah. Ooh, all right. Rocking and rolling. Good question this way. I have to ask. No, you don't have to. You, you decided to. Um, <laughs> how much, how much luck, I love this question. How much luck is involved in the process? Why are there low stat applicants who get into better schools than higher stat applicants, assuming they ap all applied early? I love this question because like, I go on to Student Doctor Network and Reddit and they're all like, oh, it's just a crapshoot. It's just all, it's, a, it's just all luck and... I'm like, no, no. Some people chose to actually research the schools they applied to and potentially had relationships right. with the school because they reached out and asked for some help. And what are your thoughts here? Well, I, I also think this is a good question. And I think that it's it's not it, it's not possible for me to say that luck has no part in the process. Correct. It, it, it does. Luck has a part in life in yep. general. And whether yep. you call it luck or, or whatever you want to call it, there is, there is some level of, and, 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 and I'll give you a good example, either luck or bad luck. So I'll give you an example of a, of a student who, you know, student who has a wreck on their way to the interview. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's pretty bad luck. Yep. So they miss their interview. Maybe <laughs> they can get back into that in, into that school's interview cycle or not, depending on when when the, when when in the cycle it is. Yep. So you know there there is an element of luck in the process. Um, it, it could depend on what interview you got. What it what what did that interview ha have for breakfast? Do they feel right? Do they not feel yep. right? You know. So there's a lot of elements there that could. Um, that could you you could call luck. Um, to the to, to the second question though, why are there low stat applicants who get into better schools than higher stat applicants? And and the, the premise of this question is stats. Yep. It's not all about the stats. Yep. It's it's all about <laughs> it, that's exactly right. Stats, stats are, are not the whole story. story. Yep. Uh, stats are part of it, but there's a richness about applicants. Uh, that comes with their application that is not about the numbers. And yeah. uh, so if you, if you, and that's why I always, you know, I, I rarely think it's a good idea to compare 
you know, well, I know Johnny Smith and he got a, you know, 508 on his impet <laughs> that's score. The, that's all and his two I had a five. <laughs> yeah, that is all it is. And I had a 512. Well, why didn't I get in? And yeah. my impet's better than yeah. his impet and yeah. he got in and I didn't. Be, because that, that arrogance showed in your essays. <laughs> yes. I'm amazing yeah. and you need to uh, accept me because I'm amazing yeah. and I'm amazing and or I'm the, amazing. Or in the interview, you know. In, in uh, the interview, yeah. That, 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 that comes across, you know, that yeah. kind of, thing, <laughs> I, I've heard some good stories from, from admissions committee members and, and deans and directors of admissions about, uh, about interviewees and, and just the arrogance that some of them yes. have. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's really amazing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it really is. Yeah. It's, it's not just that. So, so yes, yeah. like if you want to play the, the compare stats game, you can, None of it means anything though when you just look at stats. So yeah, it's right. hard. Yeah, the the luck thing. Obviously, there there is luck involved with who's reading your application. What kind right. of day they're having today? Right. Did, did they are are they going through something in their home life that's going to distract them from really connecting with your application? Right. Yeah. But that's life. Like every yeah. single day, we have the that type of quote unquote luck that dictates our entire life. So you can't yeah. say this process has luck involved if, if you're going to ignore everything else in life too. Right. That's right. Exactly. I, I always think about the, um, there, there's a good data or a good study on parole board hearings and the people who hear the parole board hearings and appeals, like if it's earlier in the day, like the, the percentage of those who are, released on parole is like astronomically higher than right before lunch and yeah <laughs> it's, it's incredible it's just yeah. like why are we letting humans do this when we know we are terrible at, yeah. at judgment like this throughout yeah. the day yeah and, and you do have to note that it is people looking at people yep. you know in the in whether it's the parole process or whether it's the admissions process to medical school uh it's it's people trying to do the best they can looking at other people and making decisions. So um, it is, you know, yeah, you could, you could totally uh, write a computer program to do all, to do the admissions process. Yep. And, but, you know, you would have, uh, it, it would be interesting to see what, what kind of doctors you got out at the end of that <laughs> process. Yep. In med school applications, quote, best does not mean, quote, best numbers. It's best across many aspects. Having a variety of people in the class benefits everyone. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Great, great little I, saying there. That's, Rachel. yeah. We can't hear you, Rachel. You're muted, Rachel. Unmute yourself. Sorry, I think, Ryan, you thought you were reading a question from someone, but we get asked I started this, off thinking it was, and then I realized it wasn't. <laughs> we get asked this stats-only question so often that I've started transcribing your answers. Yeah. So I just threw up a banner from an earlier quote that you guys gave. Yeah. <laughs> That's what that That's was. Right. Man, yeah. I was like, man, that sounds very smart. Who said that? I know, right? <laughs> well, I sorry, I yeah, so I confused you guys, but what I was trying to do was underline the point that Scott was making, which is it's yeah. humans analyzing humans, which is both bad and sometimes good yep. in this way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Absolutely. Bueno. All right. Let's see what we've got next here. 
For someone who has extensive, wow, 17,000 plus paid clinical hours, experience hours, how important is physician shadowing? For context, in those hours, I've worked with internal medicine docs and clinic docs. I I like this question. My assumption is this is a nurse, potentially. Uh, I get this question a lot from nurses. Yeah, Yeah, is Mm -hmm. I'm a nurse. I work with physicians all day long. I don't need to shadow, right? <laughs> and I said, oh, oh, oh contraire, um, whatever the rest of that saying is. Um, I, I, I always challenge that assumption that, oh, I, I work in a clinical setting, therefore I don't have to shadow. And, and how I, I generally respond to that is you see what you see when you're working next to the physician, you don't see what happens when that physician walks away and goes on with the rest of his or her um, day. You don't know what it's like when they go back to the physician room, call room, and they sit there for hours dictating uh, their notes, talking to the insurance companies, talking to family members, dealing with everything else. You just see the patient care side of it at the bedside, typically. And so my, my response is always, you need some shadowing to see the rest of it, just mm-hmm. to get an idea of the rest of it. Yeah. And I, and I think too, uh, I think here's an opportunity for the student uh, in, in this case to broaden themselves in terms of the, the specialty. So if they, if they do internal medicine, maybe they could shadow a surgeon, maybe they could shadow a, a, um, an ophthalmologist, maybe they could shadow uh, a pediatrician, you know, to broaden out that experience that they have uh, with other types of, 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 of doctors who can, who, and, and, and therefore get a, a richer experience mm-hmm. with what they're, uh, what they're, what they're seeing and, and be able to, to translate that in, in an application. So I agree with you, Ryan. I, I think I wouldn't discount it, uh, at all the value of, of, of the shadowing experience that, that a, 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 an applicant like this might be able to have. Yeah. And luckily, with that exposure, hopefully getting shadowing is easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you would think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Rocking and rolling. Rebecca asks, what is the best way to develop a school list? Aside from using information from the MSAR, which, if you don't know, is the medical school admissions requirements application from the AMC and school website, is there a good way to gauge whether you are a good fit for the school? And I will add for our DO friends, they have the Choose mm-hmm. DO Explorer, which mm-hmm. is the, the DO version of the MSAR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Building a school list, this is one of my favorite topics because I go way against the grain compared to what students normally do. But I want to hear your your thoughts. Well, I think this is a – it's a little difficult because you, you really don't get a good feel for the institution, the, the school itself from the MSAR or from their school website. You can find out, you know, what they say their mission is or you can you can find out uh, what, what they emphasize in terms of what their numbers are. You can find out what, you know, a variety of bits of information about a school from those two things. But I think that the best way to get to know a school is by visiting the school, number one, is going there and seeing what it's like. How do I feel when I walk on this campus? Do I like the surrounding area? Do I like the city it's in? Do I like 
how it feels when I'm there. A very intuitive uh, sort of idea of, of what does this feel like? And then talking to students who actually go to that school yeah. and say, what do you think? What do you like? What do you not like? This is the value of the interview experience. And obviously you can't get that when you're on the applicant side of things. But if you're, if it's possible now, Medical schools are very different from undergraduate institutions. They don't have tour guides typically where you can set up a tour and go and, you know, I suppose some medical schools do, but generally no. Uh, if you call them up and say, Hey, I want to come tour your school. They're going to say, yeah. well, sorry. We, <laughs> we have an open that. house in six months, potentially. Yeah, you can come there. Yeah. But I would say, you know, if you're able to just, just go there and just yeah. park and walk around. Uh, and, uh, you know, go to the library, go to the, you know, anywhere that you're able to go. And, uh, and, you know, you see somebody walking by a young looking person walking by in a white coat say, Hey, are you a medical student? Can I ask you, I'm thinking of applying here. Can I ask you some questions about the school <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, just see, you know, see what it's like and see what they say. And uh, I think that could be very valuable. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've had an idea for a long time, but with with the current um, life situation with n not even just COVID and the pandemic and everything, but just my wife being a physician and working, I, I've had this idea. I'm like, it'd be fun to just rent an RV and go on a road trip, bring bring yeah. maybe my my cameraman and uh, um, and just go school to school and just just go all out and do a, a video tour of the school and talk with students and just really get a good insight into uh, each of the schools from a, a up close and personal um, perspective. That'd be, it'd be a fun road trip for the future. Yeah, it would. Fun little YouTube series. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so as you mentioned, right, the, what, in in this country, we know as the the summer before applying to college or whatever it is, the the college tour that that kids go on usually with their parents or, or some do, uh, is it's not a thing for medical schools. So usually don't go on a tour of a medical school until you are actually invited for an interview. And obviously now with the pandemic, that's yeah. not happening. Um, and yeah. and I've talked to students right the the. the uh, have their school list and they've said that my top choice school dropped to the bottom when I was on campus. I, I just didn't yep. like the campus. I didn't like the vibe. I didn't, I didn't like the yep. culture that I saw and I dropped it. And the one that I didn't think was, was going to be a, a winner moved up to the top because it was amazing. Yep. And it's exactly. just, it's hard to do that when if you don't go to the campus so the the things that i generally recommend are use social media check out the the medical school's youtube channel see if you can find and, and a lot of times school uh, schools potentially have some sort of um, block on students talking about what school they go to and so maybe it's not public where they go to maybe you can figure it out um on Instagram, you can do location searches. So search a location where there are medical schools and see if you can find medical students, PAs, PTs, other people who are part of that whole medical complex talking about that that school and that institution. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of social media, look on Student Doctor Network, look on Reddit. A lot of times they have individual threads for different schools, ask questions there. Um, it really just do your research. I, I 
I don't like using MCAT and GPA to apply to schools. I, I no. want students to look at the fit and, yeah. uh, and obviously culture and stuff like that. And so uh, I, I give this example, and, and I don't know if I've told this example to you yet, Scott, but I, I give this example all the time that our current culture of applying to medical school is based on MCAT and GPA. Students use the MSART. They, they filter based on their MCAT and GPA. They make their list based on that. And, and I, I translate that to students. I said, if students are only applying based on MCAT and GPA, then the medical schools can only accept based on MCAT and GPA. And so all right. that is doing is perpetuating the stats over and over and over and over again. And if you are below the 10th percentile for MCAT or GPA or whatever it is, and you go, oh, I can't get in there, then you're not allowing the medical school to tell you no. You're, right. you're telling yourself no. And yes, obviously, we talked about it earlier, uh, applying to medical school is expensive and costs money, and and the more schools you apply to, it's harder. I, I get those arguments. But, but really, really, really do more research into schools other than MCAT and GPA. And then if you need to narrow down by MCAT and GPA, Go right ahead, but do that last. Exactly. <sighs> All right. That's my med school rant. All right. Another great saying here um, that has been up there already. <laughs> <laughs> um, Katie asks, I know we have talked about how COVID has impacted the cycle, but what are your thoughts on how COVID will impact next year's cycle, specifically from a clinical shadowing research hours perspective? I think COVID's going to be in the discussion for three, four, five, six years until all yeah. of the current students who are trying to get shadowing clinical experience, taking online classes, pass fail classes, until they get through the application cycle. Yeah, it, it is what it is. So. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think particularly next cycle, <clears throat> depending on how you know, what happens with COVID? I mean, we may still be sitting in the same place we are now. No, please, the, please no. <laughs> I know I, I'm the same way, but you know, with the, the, depending on kind of how things play out with a vaccine or whatever, it's, it's, yeah. it's a big question mark. But I think Dr. you're right. <laughs> yeah, please. Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be a while. So that's, that's fine. Again, schools, schools understand they're, they're going through the same thing. Right. We're, yeah. we're seeing colleges as we're recording this. Colleges are starting up again. I'm seeing pictures of of rushing at sororities and fraternities and it, they're just partying like nothing's happening. I'm like, oh, my yeah. God, please. It's insane. It's please, insane. No. Yeah. Well, anyway. Good. All right. More questions. We got some more. I can go over a little bit, too, if we want to go over a little bit. If we got more questions, Rachel's going to come on. All right, rocking and rolling. Rocking and rolling. Yeah. Cedric asks, "I'm a low <clears throat> GPA student for both my undergrad and graduate school degrees. I know, I know. Shame on me. Uh, I have zero clinical hours and no shadowing. I was planning to apply next cycle to MD PhD programs, but I feel hesitant about where I stand now versus if I wait for the 2023 cycle. What do you recommend I do? Thanks. Wow. Well, you know, kudos to you for being up front." Yeah. Um, 
wow. this, this is a good, am I ready? No, <laughs> no, yeah. you're not, you're yeah, not ready. Right. Yeah. So, so I always go back to why are you applying to medical school? Yeah. If you have zero clinical hours and no shadowing, how do you know you want to be a doctor? Why, why are you doing this? And then I go even further to go MD, PhD. Well, why are you applying to MD, PhD programs? I, I hope without any clinical or shadowing, you have a ton of research to show that you're interested in research. Um, if that's not the case, then maybe he's just trolling us, but I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. But we get a lot of students like this who are more aspirational than then informed about the whole process and what it takes to get in. And these are the students that I really love to, to like grab them by the shoulders, put earbuds in and say, listen to the pre-med years and come back and talk to me and really inform them yeah. about the process and everything they need to do. The, yeah, the low stats, yeah. the, the low GPA for undergrad and graduate schools, that doesn't bother me as much because we can always fix that with more classes, unfortunately, right? Yeah. With, with money yeah. and more classes. Um, obviously graduate and undergraduate, it's like, well, why didn't you fix it the first time or the second time, right? With yeah. graduate school. So yeah, what are you, what are you thinking? No, I, I completely agree with you. The, the this whole package bothers me in, in general. I, 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 I think that, um, you're right in terms of graduate school, low GPA and both undergrad and graduate school. I question um, you know, yes, it's fixable, but the, the vibe I get from, I know, I know shame on me. It seems a little casual, yeah. um, like instead of w what is really going on here, uh, this, you know, there needs to be a good deal of, of, of self-assessment going on here. What, why am I not, why am I not doing well in school? Uh, and what does that mean about my abilities? What does that mean about my study habits, what does that mean about my time management skills, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the fact that you're somewhat aspirational, or I guess you have been for some time, and yet you have, as you said, Ryan, zero, zero. I mean, the word zero is actually written there. <laughs> zero clinical hours and no shadowing. So I, this whole thing kind of bothers me a lot. I, I, I agree with you. I think this is this is a very problematic and, and I do not recommend that, I, you know, you need to seek out some, some hefty advising uh, uh, through your institution or through us or somebody needs to really yeah. sit down with you and, and really examine. Even, even before on. that, I think self-reflection. Yeah, definitely. I, I always go to, well, why haven't you? Uh, are, yeah. are you saying this because mom and dad are behind you wanting you to be a doctor? And, and you're resisting, and so you're saying, oh, I think I'm going to apply, but you have zero activities that show you want to do this. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the student needs to, and any student in this situation, every student needs to self-reflect, but this student specifically needs a lot of self-reflection on if this is truly what they want and find out why they haven't spent any time doing the things to show that this is what they want. Yeah. I, um, I want to chime in on this one because sometimes I feel like after these brilliant, amazing and highly experienced guys talk, it's like there's so much unsaid because of the context of their experience. 
Um, we will never tell anyone, no, you can't be a doctor. Correct. We will have tough love, honest conversations with you about how long it might take. And I definitely also agree that self-reflection is part of that. Um, so I just want to say to this person who asked or to anyone else who's listening, who's going, well, wow, they're really making a big deal out of clinical and shadowing. And honestly, I didn't know it was a big deal. That's what we're trying to enlighten you to. Yeah. Um, a lot of people do it last and we think you should be doing it very early. So if there is a person starting freshman year right now as a pre-med, maybe your first semester you don't, right? Because college is really different than high school. So maybe for this first semester, you're focusing on great grades. But as soon as you get those college study skills down by second semester, we think you should be doing clinical and shadowing, not to prove to the med schools that you're a good applicant, but to prove to yourself that you really are interested in patient care because it's yeah. one thing to dream about being a doctor. It's one thing to love taking care of your grandma. It is another thing to change the bedpan for someone you never met. Um, yeah. So that's that's the point of this message here is like, again, <laughs> not to not to shame anyone, but just to yeah. say yep. we're trying to help you reassess your priorities. Yep. No, no shaming at all. Yeah. You, you never know until you're in the operating room scooping poop out of a rectum. I've been there, done that. <laughs> like, you, you, have to, you have to know you love it uh, to really get in there. Oh man, I'll never forget that patient. <laughs> um, it's, okay, so it's one after the hour. You have time to run a little bit longer. We've got time for maybe one or two more. I do. Scott, you good? Yeah. All right, let's go. We've got another mini Am I Ready? All right. I love these. Immigrant D1 student athlete, biochem major, 3-1 master's or grade enhancement program. All right. So undergraduate biochem 3.1, they're asking master's or grad enhancement post-bac program. Hmm. We talked a little bit well, earlier about master's versus undergraduate and and yeah. how, how med schools view each potentially. Yeah. Does wow, it's kind of does immigrant D one student athlete? Can we throw that out? Could this answer be for any biochem major or any major with a three one GPA? Yeah, I think so. And certainly, yeah. immigrant doesn't really affect me much. A student athlete is particularly a Division one school. I think that does have an impact on a GPA uh, yeah. with the amount of time that they, they have to commit to their, yeah. to their They're sport. Athlete students, not student athletes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, uh, so I think that is relevant. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't, um, this is a good question. I, I think that you could go either direction with this. I think the safer direction in my view would be the great enhancement program, yeah. uh, really, really going to a, a post-bac program that, that focuses in on grade enhancement and really addresses some of the, 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 uh, um, the lackings of your undergraduate record thus far um, might be the best way to go. But as, as Ryan pointed out earlier, sometimes there are financial issues with, with regard to that, uh, which may push you more toward a master's program. And there are, you know, great master's programs out there uh, for, um, for post-bac students that can be very helpful in this regard. So I think it, it's a little bit difficult to judge based on just the limited amount of information that we have here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I typically, 
I typically encourage post back undergraduate post back programs versus yeah. a master's. Yeah, um, same, here. So. same here. That's generally all right. Yep. Let's do one more. One more. Let's see what we got. How many shadowing hours is enough? All right, let's finish with a good one. Uh, how many shadowing hours is enough if you have a lot of clinical experience? I, I like this question because it, it kind of gets to the heart of this pre-med culture of uh, checking off a box, right? Yeah. Of uh, if I have, quote unquote, enough, then I can stop. And my general advice, and I, I think yours is the same, Scott, is is that... There, there is no number to target. It's, it's That's right. uh, as an applicant as a whole, you are being judged as a whole with everything that you are doing, seeing how you are spending your time, period. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think it's, it's really an issue here of enough doesn't even fit within the context of, in my view, what, what this is all about. The, the word enough. Um, it doesn't doesn't translate, and yeah. so I think uh, what you're looking at. I think you need to do some shadowing hours outside of the clinical experiences you you have, and it's really about how you talk about these shadowing hours. I've seen students who have limited shadowing hours and limited uh, clinical ex- experiences, but who talk about it in such a way that it's just a, it's so clear that they. They got it, they, their ref, ability to reflect and really see the meaning of what they were doing and seeing um, was incredible. And they, they did well in the process of, of getting into medical school. I've also seen students who had tons of hours and couldn't, all they could talk about was what they did. They, they, yeah. there, was no sort of, <laughs> there was no sort of higher level thought process going on there. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Tell me about your shadowing, 300 hours. No, yeah. no, tell me about your shadowing. Three three hundred hours. <laughs> it's like it's like the uh, capturing a soldier. All they say name rank and serial name in social security. Right? <laughs> <We're right. laughs> yeah, how many hours? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, this is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com/podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.